Welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie, and I am here with an author interview. I have been lucky enough to speak to a, a romantic comedy author, Sophie Cousins. I'm so excited for this interview today. I loved reading her new book before I do. Sophie, how are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you. Um, it's really nice to be on the show. So thank you for having me. Anytime, truly. <laughs> um, I guess just to kick it off right away, Sophie, would you mind giving us a little bit of information about yourself as an author and then just a brief synopsis of your new book before I do? Yeah, sure. So I, um, my debut was This Time Next Year, which came out in 2020, which was not an amazing year to be published, but um, I was lucky enough to be picked for the Good Morning America book club, which was super exciting. And that um, helped the book become a New York Times bestseller, which was amazing. Um, And I've had so much love and support for that book. And then my second novel, which came out last year, was called Just Haven't Met You Yet, um, which any Target shoppers, I'm sure, will recognize the cover because (laughs) it's a girl picking up a suitcase, the wrong suitcase, and crossing paths with a man because that was all about a woman picking up the wrong suitcase at the airport and falling in love with the contents. So you might know me from that one. And then my latest book, Before I Do, which is coming out in the US on the 11th, is another sort of high concept rom-com. And the idea is um, our protagonist, Audrey, is about to get married to the love of her life, her long-term boyfriend, Josh. And then the night before her wedding, the one that got away, her kind of what-if man that she's always wonders about, wondered about, turns up at the wedding as a date of one of her bridesmaids and kind of throws her for a loop about should she be getting married? Is she going to have cold feet? Is this a sign from the universe? So it's a tricky, tricky situation for Audrey. (laughs) Absolutely. I felt the pressure. I thought it's one of the things I thought that was so, so very interesting in this book, because I think a lot of the times when you read a romance, there's something about the familiarity, even in a Um, And I say this loosely, love triangle or a will they, won't they situation, you have an idea of the couple that will end up together. And I felt truly, I did not know what was going to happen (laughs) the entire time I was reading the book. I was truly on pins and needles the entire time. Okay. I'm really glad you said that because that's kind of what I set out to do in a way, because (laughs) I love writing romance, but then sometimes a bit of feet, you know, all romances by definition have to have a happy ending. You know, no one wants to read romance and then everyone gets murdered at the end because it's not what they like it's not what they've invested in they want to have a certain feeling at the end but then some of the criticism rom-coms can get is that oh it was a little bit predictable and you kind of knew what was going to happen so it's really hard as a writer to have that balance of sort of knowing you're in safe hands and it's all going to end well but not knowing exactly how you know what that well looks like so yeah my challenge was I wanted I wanted the reader to sort of really be with Audrey in her sort of dilemma and her stress about I don't know which guy what I'm supposed to be doing here like I feel like this what if the, the guy from my past might be my soulmate and if he is you know, should I be getting married today? But equally, she has a great relationship. It's not like her fiance is a bad man. So it's a really tough call. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is enhanced so much more by the tensions that are sort of surrounding her. So even when you're not having moments between Josh and Fred, who are the two love interests, there's so much tension with the personal and emotional lives of her bridesmaids, 
her complicated relationship with her mother. And that plays so much into sort of her making her decision as to who she wants to be with because she's seen her mom have failed marriage after failed marriage. And I think it just adds so much more pressure to her decision because it beca- it, it's, it strengthens it so much because it didn't just feel like, oh, which guy do I want to be with? It's like, what does it say about me as a person if I choose to get married seeing so many failed marriages um, yes. from from my from my parents from my my main source of love and affection growing up yes and that's very much what the book the book is written on multiple timelines because we sort of see the present day wedding timeline where she's kind of working up to saying I do and is she going to say I do or not yeah. um and then we sort of flash back to sort of 20 years before I do four years before I do six years before I do and you see these formative moments and formative relationships in Audrey's life. And I kind of like to describe the book as a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. And each flashback, you get another piece and you see this isn't just a kind of cold feet wobble that's come from this day. This is something that's been, you know, all of us are products of our past, our relationship histories, our family, our friendship, our how secure and insecure we are. And I really wanted to examine that in this story and sort of where these feelings or kind of emotional habits come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's so well done. It just adds to so much of the drama in in the book. Um, uh, yeah, because one of my favorite characters, this won't be a spoiler to say, but sort of one, one of my favorite characters in the book is um, Granny Parker, which is her her fiance's granny. And she is just one of these people who is, you know, she's really superstitious and everything that starts to go wrong on the wedding day, she starts to see as like a bad omen. So, you know, there's a, a, a bat falls from the ceiling in the church in the rehearsal, in the, in the wedding rehearsal. And she's sort of like, that is, I mean, that's a really bad omen. Like this is not, this is, does not bode well for your wedding. And for poor Audrey, when she's already starting to wobble and people are all telling her like, oh, this is a, this is a bad omen. You know, it's also about superstition and fate if stuff is predestined, which is, again, in all my books, this is a theme that I'm really interested in. Yeah. And I thought that that played such an interesting role in this book as well, because Audrey is so concerned about soulmates and fate and who belongs together. And I think that that plays such an interesting role because of her obsession with the universe and constellations, especially because that is something that she shared with her dad. So it just feels like every single little piece really, really fits together in the jigsaw puzzle because her relationship with her dad was really special to her. Yeah, he talked to her all about astronomy and stargazing and, you know, would tell, would, you know, ever since she was a child, she sort of laying in the garden and looked up at the stars and her father has told her stories. And I think, you know, an astronomy is a big part of Audrey's life. And I think that sense of our place in the universe mm-hmm. and how small we are, but also this sense of, you know, what you believe is out there and what you believe you're a part of is all tied up in her in her yeah in her ideas about love and in her memories of her father and kind of the stories that he told her yeah absolutely absolutely i guess to backtrack a little bit with um we we tried to kick off with a fun little warm up question i know we just delved right into <laughs> the book it's straight into the book but yes um but i noticed um on your website you have a book club kit Uh, for another one of your novels. And a part of that is a playlist and cocktails to fit alongside of the book. So I was wondering, is that something that you do sort of 
for yourself, for all of your books? And if so, what would you say is one song and drink that matches Before I Do? Well, you've completely reminded me that I needed to do a book club (laughs) kit for Before I Do, because that is something that slipped down my list, because I love those. Um, Yeah, I think it's really nice if you're reading a book with friends or in a book club, just to have a few little kind of steers that you can listen to or drink while you're there. And it got me thinking because this book is obviously about a disastrous wedding. And so I just think you could do a sort of a really lethal lethal champagne cocktail, I think, of... um, yeah, I was thinking sort of actually, I mean, lethal, but also really delicious. Like a bit of um, Kier Royale is like, it's got a bit of Kier in it. Or quiche, is it Kier? I don't know what the, I can't remember what the spirit is called. But with um, champagne and then muddled with blue, blueberries or something. Like Ooh, ber- a berry yeah. champagne cocktail, I thought, would be show the muddle and the fizz and the kind of chaos, but also be quite tasty. Yeah, that's perfect. That is a perfect choice. <laughs> And then song-wise, I mean, there's so many disaster songs, but I was thinking something like, you know, Love Will Turn Us, Tear Us Apart by Joy Division would be a good kind of theme for theme for this book. Or The One That Got Away by Katy Perry. I was looking at, and I was like, yes, okay, I'm going to do a playlist of um, disaster wedding tracks. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you can add Champagne Problems by Taylor Swift. Champagne Problems, right, that's going on the list. Okay, yeah. Any- <laughs> Champagne problems. Anything by Taylor Swift is always a complete winner as well. Okay. (laughs) I'm writing it down. (laughs) Perfect. So I haven't read all of your books, but I know that in the two that I have read, you write a lot about um, faded meetings and the universe and missed opportunities. And I was wondering, what is it about sort of that trope in romance novels and that storyline that really, really speaks to you as a writer? Well, I just think it's something whenever I have conversations with friends about their relationships, especially in your kind of 20s and 30s, where you're trying to work out, is this good enough? Is this right? Should I keep looking? Should I stay with this guy? Is it, you know, everyone, everyone has those questions. I think there's very few people who just sort of meet someone instantly at the age of 19. And they're like, yeah, done. This is 100% it. I have no questions. Like, you know, so I think most people are used to having those kind of conversations with their friends. And I think that the rest of life, like, you know, who your friends are, what job you have, where you live, so much of it we can choose. I mean, obviously, there's a lot about what happens and if you get the job. Uh, but if you want to work in a certain area, you know, you can keep pushing and keep trying. But love is something that is is very much out of our hands. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can keep on Internet dating. You can keep on asking people to set you up. You can keep on meeting people, but you cannot really force it. And I think that's something that's quite scary for us as humans, because we all want love. We all want to be in a relationship. And, you know, well, not all of us, but, you know, generally love in some form is yeah. a nice thing to have in, in our lives. And I think that that lack of control is something that makes it just very different to other aspects of our life, but also very special. And I think that maybe for some people, it's easier to feel that it's fated. It's what will be will be. You know, my guy, the person I'm going to meet is out there and the universe has it all in hand. And when 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 it's going to be presented to me, it'll be presented to me. And other people believe, no, you know, you make life, love happen. You've got to work at it. You've got to put yourself out there. That's the thing. You always get told when you're single, put yourself out there. <laughs> and so I've just had lots of these conversations with friends and people think different things. And it's um, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think especially with relationships, because it's not scientific, there's no one way to do it. There are many different types of successful relationships and successful romantic relationships, which is why I think part of the reason we are so interested in them, like 
we can keep on reading the books and watching the movies because every single time it is different because the ending always happens differently depending on the type of person involved in the relationship. Exactly. And also we we if you know we read lots of stories are love stories. I mean ultimately mm-hmm. that they might not necessarily be a romance or a rom-com but most stories films think you know that we tell each other or we read or we watch on TV there's love as as a central kind of component of that story. And I think for Audrey the way she meets Fred who is her the guy from her past, the one that got away. It's an incredibly romantic meet cute that, you know, is the kind of thing that you'd read about in books. Yeah. She finds his photo in a photo booth and she can't help but feel that, I mean, this is a great meeting. This is a great story. This Like there has to be more to this. This can't just be this one day that it was, this kind of moment in time. And so it's also sort of the narrative of how we meet people and whether that's important. I know for a while, if you met online, you know, you'd be a little bit embarrassed that, oh, I met my partner online. Obviously, now that's the way majority people meet each other. But I think for a time, people felt that was a boring story, like compared to their their friend who was like, oh, well, I was walking down the river and I (laughs) fell in and he jumped in to save me and the rest (laughs) was history. (laughs) Did you find, um, and I'm just sort of curious that you, did you have a, did you know instantly before you even started writing who she was going to end up with? Or did you feel sort of swayed as you were writing the book as to what Audrey should choose? I definitely didn't know at the beginning. And this was, I think, what made the book so interesting to write. And I sort of, it was more when I was plotting it and planning it, I didn't know Mm -hmm. which way. I just, I just knew I wanted, when I write a book, I usually start with just a a premise. So like, uh, what if question, like what if you picked up the wrong suitcase at the airport and fell in love with the contents? Or in this case, what if you're about to get married and then the person you think is your soulmate turns up at your wedding? And that's where I start. And then I kind of find the character and then I kind of work out, right, what is the what is the logical chain of events here? Like, how would it play out? But it it really took me a long time to write because I went backwards and forwards on what should happen or what would happen. Or, you know, I even spoke to a vicar about what would, what would happen in a wedding service if X, Y, Z happened. Or So I was just, even though it's quite a fantastical setup in terms of, I mean, how likely is this to happen? I wanted there to be a reality there as well of sort of how you would respond if this actually happened. So it definitely took me longer to plot than other books. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> that totally makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, when you were writing it, I'm always curious to know, like, did you have a fair, favorite character that you felt like you enjoyed writing the most? And if they are different, is there a character that you feel is most like yourself? Well, I love anyone who reads my books will know that I'm very much about the sort of ensemble cast and that the secondary characters are always a big part of the novel because I feel like all again, all of our all of our personal growth and our like romantic relationships are very much influenced by family and friends. Um and in this one, I think my probably my favorite character is Hillary, which is um na- it's Audrey's Nactor, which was her nanny actor, basically her mother who was a kind of she's an actress and a bit of a sort of lovey on the English stage and she decides it's, she, she thinks that her daughter should be brought up by out of out of work actors rather than nannies because they'd be more fun and they'd have more to teach her so when she's sort of you know seven or eight she has um this very flamboyant 
gay actor called Hillary, who is her nanny, and they have an amazing relationship and they've stayed, you know, best friends as she's te- become an adult. And what I really liked, is to, I just thought it was quite an original dynamic as a relationship because, you know, you're used to having the best friend character or the un- uncle character. And Hillary's sort of in between those two things. He's a different generation, but he's not her parents' generation. And he's not family, but he's invested in her life. And so that was a really fun, I'd never really had a relationship like that before. So that was super fun to write. And then her other friend, Clara, who's her bridesmaid, I is probably most like me because she's just had twins and she's been asked to be maid of honour and she's really struggling because she wants to be a great maid of honour and she does not want to be the annoying friend who's always checking on her babies yeah. and sort of talking about her babies when it's her friend's big day. Um, and I think there was just a lot of humour to be found in that set up because I've definitely seen that in, you know, when you get when you get married in your 30s and all your late 20s and some friends have babies and some don't, there can be a bit of a sort of, for those, you know, people like, I don't want the baby to ruin the day. This is about me. This is not about, I don't want to hear about nappies and crying babies. And so that kind of balance and that kind of stage of life between friends was fun to explore. Absolutely. I thought that that was um, a, a very, very fun dynamic because I do know like I'm finally reaching the age where like friends are getting married and they're having babies both Clara and I'm running a blank on her other bridesmaid's name Miranda Miranda yes we're both so concerned about bringing their personal issues of relationships and husbands and children into the wedding but as the time goes on like all three women get more and more stressed (laughs) and upset. And um, I just thought that that was very interesting because they're both trying to keep it in so much. And then at the end, everyone is at a 10. Yes. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I think being a bridesmaid or a maid of honor is a huge responsibility because you are supposed to be there supporting the bride, making sure she is all okay. Because it's a really stressful day, whatever, whether you're 100% sure on the person you're marrying or not and nothing goes wrong it's still super stressful because you want it to all go perfectly and I think getting that balance right as a bridesmaid or a maid of honor I've been a bridesmaid I think 10 times or something oh my goodness so yeah I've, I've I've had my fair share of experience but to be helpful and not bring your own drama and make it fun for the bride but not everyone is really good at doing that so that's another area I I, I enjoyed exploring in in this book. Well, do you uh, have a favorite line or section from your book that you would like to share with us? Yes. So as we discussed earlier, I think, you know, I was saying that, that astronomy is a big part of the book and, you know, the stars and how we search for meaning. And there was a little, just a little paragraph that I wrote that I think I was quite pleased with because it also this explains why I've written the book in the format that I have, which is multiple timelines and the time jumps around a lot. So this is a chapter where Audrey's father is talking to her about the stars and they're both looking up at the sky. Perhaps it is the writer in me who sees the stars like chapters in a book thrown across the sky in no clear order or chronology. If only I could rearrange them in a more orderly way, in a shape that made sense to me, then I would understand the story better. Yet logic tells me those stars are millions of light years apart. They care not a jot that they share space in our sky. Are we fools to look for meaning? Um, so I like that bit because I just thought that that explained for me why I've written it how I have. And 
you know, some people, when they read multiple timelines, they're just sort of, I put it back in order. And, you know, I was kind of talking about like how different the story would be if it was chronological. And I really played with different orders when I was editing it. And that quote for me sums up why not, because it's sort of, you have to extract the meaning from each chapter about where it is, but maybe there is no logic to it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a picture you have to paint for yourself. And I love, I do love reading multiple timelines because I think they're they're a book I kind of enjoy as a reader. So I think they oh, have yeah, something. Me too. <laughs> when you slowly get all of the, all of the information, getting the opportunity, I think, to jump around and see the protagonist in many different eras of their lives is so interesting, especially when it's not in order because you don't get the chance to say like, oh, this is exactly why she's this way. It, you slowly uncover it for yourself. Yes, exactly. And it's But it's hard because you you want to make sure that readers never feel like, oh, this is the boring like storyline. I want to flash forward. Like I think yeah. you know, I always write short chapters as well because I just like it to be these little kind of moments in time because you never want to feel like you're so far away from the present day. And it's just, you know, you've, you've had a chance to just skip back and have this sort of moment rather than suddenly thinking, oh, hang on, where were we? What's so? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, I just read Paper Palace recently and I thought that did all the flash, you know, the multiple oh, the timelines yeah. really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That one does, that one does um, handle the flashbacks really well. I think, it, I think it can be tough to do that, to keep every single moment as intriguing and interesting as the next. Yes. And I think I genuinely think before I do handled it so well because I was interested in every single section I was reading. I never felt like, oh, I wish I was just at the wedding or I wish I was just like with her and her relationship with Fred. Every single moment had this really incredible ebb and flow. The pacing was just really, really well done that you knew that every single chapter played an important role in her journey. Oh well, that's very that's very kind of you to say. I, I yeah, I've taken it as a big compliment that I've when I've had a couple of reviews from people saying, I don't usually like multiple timelines, or <laughs> I'm usually confused by multiple timelines, but I I did enjoy this one, so I'm like, okay, good, yes, I've got you round to multiple timelines, good. <laughs> so I was wondering, um, moving into sort of your writing process and you as an author. Have you always been a storyteller? And I noticed that you have a background working in television um, as a producer. And do you feel like that has played a role in your work as a writer and a storyteller? Yes. I mean, the kind of shows I used to work on, I used to work on a lot of kind of comedy entertainment shows, uh, chat shows. I worked on Graham Norton's chat show for several years. Um, And I think they were not necessarily similar in terms of, you know, my long term, long form novel writing is a very different craft. But I think what it Mm -hmm. did teach me is, especially working with really talented comedians, what it taught me is that all those people have worked quite hard to get there. And they still work and edit. And a joke you might see on TV, TV that seems so effortless and so and so you know as if they've just thought of it off the, <laughs> off the top of their thing actually you know often there's there's been a lot of preparation and a lot of refining of that joke to get it perfectly so I think it taught me about the editing process and about yeah. how you know nothing is going to be perfect straight off the bat you've got to go back and edit and give it time but also I think yeah being open to criticism I think working in TV it's a real team effort. You know, you all work together on a script and the product is definitely stronger because of the amount of people you've got working on it. So for me, 
you know, being a writer, getting to write my own stories, but also having input from amazing editors and brainstorming ideas with my agent and things like that. That's the part I really enjoy because I always find that, you know, numerous heads are better than one or they, they help, you know, they help me kind of refine ideas by talking to people. Yeah, absolutely. I, it is so important to, to get the opportunity to, to bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah. You can't create stories alone. Yeah, totally. And I've been doing some script writing as well recently. And I've really enjoyed that because that's an even more collaborative process just in terms of, um, you know, every line has got to earn its place. It's got to be very, very tight. And yeah, so I've really enjoyed learning that craft as well. So that is amazing. Oh, that is so exciting. Are you writing something that's going to be on our screens? I hope so, but watch this space for more info. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> um, so when you started writing your book, what sort of comes first to you in terms of the story? Um, what do you feel is sort of the first thing that you think of when you start, start to create your stories? Um, so I think mine are very much the kind of the what if scenarios that come first so you know with this time next year it was about a, a man and a woman who were born in the same hospital on the same day one minute apart um and that one minute had hugely affected the direction that their path had taken and with my second book you know Laura picks up the wrong suitcase at the airport and falls in love with the content so I just love that premise of a sort of you know quite um, high concept setup, but that really leads your character off in a particular path. So I think for me, it's trying to think of those big dilemmas, those big questions, but that also get the reader thinking, oh, what would I do in that situation? Oh, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, in, in Just Haven't Met You Yet, Laura, you know, she's a little nuts. Like she opens <laughs> a suitcase and she decides, you know, this is this is yeah. my soulmate. And this guy has got my favorite book, my favorite music. He's got like the perfume that I that he's bought his mother. That's like I, my mother used to wear. And again, Laura believes very much in faith and destiny. And for me, that was the setup that came first. And then I was thinking, right, what kind of character would put so much kind of, you know, so much into these objects as signs and symbols. And that help me create the character of Laura because then that you know helped me find a character who was very into objects and history and her mother had been very influenced by you know she used to gather stones to make jewelry mm -hmm. and so for me it was that setup and then questioning what kind of character would find themselves in a setup why are they like that where has that come from and so for me that's the kind of beginning of the piece of wool that helps me kind of find the whole story um and equally with with this with Audrey and before I do this is the setup you know, there's a woman about to get married. She's in a good relationship, but she thinks that her one that got away might be her soulmate. And again, when I started digging into that character of right, what kind of person would find themselves thrown by that situation? And I instantly thought, well, someone whose ma mother has been married five times. What does that do to yeah. a child to see that many, you know, your mother get married and divorced that many times. And I think that, you know, I've had friends who have definitely been through parental divorces and it does affect people's views of marriage and relationships for better or for worse. I think it plays in. So again, yeah, that big, big question definitely helps me find the character and who they are and where they've come from. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Do you feel like there have been authors or maybe certain books or films that have really inspired your writing? 
Oh, good question. I think I think since I've become a rom-com writer, I've just been reading a lot more widely in the genre. Mm-hmm. And I think writers like Vari McFarlane, Josie Silver, um, you know, writers that for me are really, those two specifically, really doing well what I aspire to do, which is very funny writing, really good characters, but also with a little bit of heart and a little bit more kind of depth to them. Um, Beth O'Leary as well. She's really, really brilliant at that Um, because there's such a, within the genre, there's such a broad, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. especially in the US, there's lots more kind of slightly sexy romance books that are a bit more kind of straight romance. And then there's the more kind of silly rom-coms and then there's more sort of um, high concepty ones. And so for me, the more I read, I think the more I see, the kind of book and I enjoy all those books as a reader I do um but I think for me seeing where on that kind of spectrum I felt most comfortable as a writer yeah and I think by write, reading other authors that I respected that helped me find my voice I think yeah that completely makes sense and I love Beth O'Leary yeah, <laughs> so I totally see that yeah <laughs> Well, leading into that a little bit, what would you say is your all-time favorite book? Well, I've been racking my brains about this, and I actually don't think I have an all-time favorite book because I go through real phases where I'll read a book and then I will be raving about it to everyone and of the last couple of years so I'm going to tell you my my all-time favorite book of the last couple of years okay which I think was a lot of people's favorite book which was Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason yes did you read this did you read this one which was just one of those books that I just started reading and just had to be consumed by and I found the narrative voice so interesting and also I didn't know where it was going and I love I love that in a book where I just it was it's slightly genre defying I didn't really know what it was setting out to be and that I love that because I'm like is this you know is everyone going to die at the end or is there going to be a zombie apocalypse or is it a love story I don't I don't quite know when I started it I didn't quite know and as a reader I I love that and it just was very very original and powerful and um, I think yeah loads of readers absolutely adored this book so with good reason yeah, it's definitely a book that cons- consumes you. I find that there are certain books that sort of, after I read them, they become my personality <laughs> for a little bit, and I cannot stop thinking about them. Yeah, talking about them. Yeah, <laughs> no, completely. And that was one of those books that um, I, yeah, I, I definitely had to sort of. I started writing a book, and then was like, "Hang on a minute, am I just trying to imitate so embarrassing?" Okay, step away from the keyboard <laughs> because I'm basically just doing a really poor man's imitation of Meg Mason. So. <laughs> I need to. And then the other book, the other, I'm going to tell you another book that fits that category for me was um, Last One at the Party by Bethany Clift, which came out a couple of years ago. I don't know if you've heard about this, but this again was like very genre defying, but it was sort of about a woman who finds herself the only person left in the UK after a pandemic or she believes to herself to be the only person left and it was it's just very very powerful it's quite it's quite dark it's quite gritty it's not the kind of thing I would usually read but again the narrative voice was so compelling and I didn't know where it was going to go I had no idea where it was going and um yeah I absolutely rave about that to everyone as well Amazing. I'm going to have to check out that book. Yes. It's quite, there's quite a lot of dead bodies in it. If you don't like books with lots of dead bodies in, 
you know, the whole of the UK dies. So oh, no. it's quite a high body count. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> some people, I did see some people started reading and they were like, no, 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 I don't need any more of this in my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no. During the pandemic. I know. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, Sophie, we are nearing the end of our time. But before we go, I'm wondering if you have any final thoughts for us about um, your new book, Before I Do, or any upcoming projects. And then where our listeners can find you on social media or anything else yeah so uh, yeah I just say do um please go and read before I do I hope you enjoy it um join the discussion about it on there's always you know lots of people posting on bookstagram about what they thought of the ending um so do follow me on instagram I am sophie underscore cousins on there uh or I'm on twitter where I'm sophie cuz um, or you can look at my website, which is sophiecousins.com, and you can sign up for my mailing list where I'm always, you know, not often, but sort of maybe three or four times a year, I'll send out a newsletter with what I've been up to, books I'd recommend, and also kind of up, up and coming news about what I've been writing. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, I, yeah, I always love interacting with readers on Instagram's probably easiest. But yeah, if you've, if you've read one of my books and you want to drop me a note, um, I'm always really happy to chat to readers. So jump on there. Amazing. Thank you so much. If you are interested, I'm going to link Sophie's social media and her website to our episode descriptions. And you guys, genuinely, I cannot recommend this book enough. I read it in one sitting. <laughs> I, oh, I sat down and I did not <laughs> sit up until I had finished reading it. It was absolutely such a joy to read. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, and Sophie, thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Maggie. That's really kind and lovely to chat to you. Lovely to chat to you too. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. And if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next week. Bye.